Hi, this is Pastor Josh, and welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is a place where people can connect with Jesus and with each other. And if you're looking to get connected, you can find more information at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from a guest speaker. All right, welcome Harbor Church. How are we doing today, all right? Well, I appreciate you all coming out today and being here a part of our church and, uh, and enjoying uh, the time together. And as, uh, as Allison said, Pastor Josh is, is not going to be here today. Actually, it's just my heart's with him because this, he's actually sick. So he's got the flu. He's kind of down. He may not want me to tell you all that, but I'm going to tell you anyway so you can pray for him and pray for his family. Because Josh, if you know him, he's a warrior. He's a trooper. So I know, like, as of last night at 10, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to make it, man. I'm like, yeah, no. I think that's not going to happen. Also, he would be getting us all sick, which isn't, you know, all I have is a bad back, and I can't give that to you. That's, that's old age, and from the look of you, a lot of you already have that, so I'm not going to be able to give that to you. But today, we're going to look, and we're going to continue on in the series that we've been talking about. It's not today, Satan. And it's important for us to keep, you know, our mind focused on these things, right? Because sometimes we kind of lose sight of this battle that's happening in our world, and so we're going to look at the book of Job. Is anybody familiar with the book of Job before? He's a common character, even if you're not familiar with the Bible. Sometimes you see him in other literary stories, or at least references to him in movies and things, and, and all these terrible things that happened to this character, Job. And so as we take a look at this study in the book of Job, we're going to probably kind of go in depth into the, some of the scriptures, so there'll be a little bit more reading. But I want to start to extract some truth. But one specific thing we're going to look at today is one strategy of the devil, which I think is one of his favorites to do to us. And so we're going to take a look at that as it relates to Job, but as it comes down and relates to us. And then we're going to take a look at how we can start to combat that. What are some practical things that we can do to, to kind of push through those attacks? And so let's start by looking at the beginning of Job. Where else would we start, right, except the beginning? So in Job chapter 1, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, or Uz, depends on your phonetic appreciation for that word. Uh, he was blameless, a man of complete integrity, he feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So would you say Job's kind of a big deal? Yeah, Job's kind of a big deal. He's well-known, and obviously in the East, probably even people in the West might know Job, right? So he's kind of this big deal. But what I think is interesting about this opening part, again, this is just the very beginning of the book, and maybe it's not a big deal, I'm kind of majoring on a minor, but I'm just going to highlight it to us, and you can disregard it if you think it's useless. So, but I look at this, and I say, hey, wait a minute, What's, this is different than a lot of other books, right? Job opens up, and Job is not an Israelite, so he's not a part of Abraham's family, that lineage is not continued, so it's not a story to the nation of Israel, or a lesson about the nation of Israel, the land of Uz or Uz, I don't know where that is. I'm sure some Bible scholars might be able to dial it in someplace on a map, but it's really of no, I don't really, there's no reference to it, right? Also, there's no, like, where does this fit chronologically? The story of Job, this book, it just sits in the Old Testament. Like, where, where does this, like, go? And again, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't people who have dived into these things that might be more learned than me, but it just apparently that there's just kind of standalone. And the reason I'm focusing on that is because of course, all of Scripture is applicable to us, right? That's why God chose to reveal it to us, right? Actually, in Timothy, it says that, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, right? It's all useful. But here's this book that has no apparent 
connection to the Israelites, no apparent connection to any chronological period. It, it's just almost like, hey guys, I want you to look at this story for all generations. Here's a story that fits, it's a, it fits everyone. This is something that happens always and everywhere. And we're going to get into it a little bit more, and then you're going to kind of see why that's more important. Of kind of this idea of what Job has to go through in his life. You're saying, well, this is great. What does this have to do with the devil and the breaking the spirit and all that exciting stuff we saw in the video? Don't worry. It'll get more exciting, I promise. We're going to take a look at Job. And one of the cool things that we're going to look at right now is this next section of verses that we're going to read is going to be a picture into God's courtroom. And it's pretty exciting, right? It's something that you don't get to witness as human beings. We don't get to see this. And I don't know if you're anything like me, uh, and I have like an aversion to mysticism, uh, aversion to anything supernatural, uh, not to offend the Star Trek nerds or people, and <laughs> Star Wars groupies, and the, you know, all those type folks. Like, you know, guy, everybody likes what they like, right? So I am teasing on you because you like Star Wars, okay? So, but everybody is different, and that's why the world is great, right? But that's just not my genre. Even scary things, like I'm not really into that fantasy or supernatural. Like a zombie apocalypse is not frightening to me. Do you know why? Because zombies aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Spoiler alert. I don't want to frighten anybody. They're not real. Not going to happen. Don't worry about it. Robot, robot uprising? Be careful about that one. That's borderline, right? Do you remember the movie Outbreak? In fact, yes. That is frightening. Especially with what's going on in China right now. Like, that could really happen. Like, that's terrifying, because that's real, right? So, like, stuff that's fantasy and supernatural and stuff like that, it's hard for me to get my brain. I'm a data-driven person, right? It's, I, I do better in the world of, you know, I understand this, and so we make this decision based on this decision, and that's very comfortable for me. And why do I bring all that up? But when we look into this passage of Scripture, I want us to embrace this, that this is a very supernatural event, in God's word recorded for us. And so if we're not careful, we're going to look at this and we're going to push it away, like me. Like, I don't want, this is, okay, too, no. But the difference here is unlike fictional movies and literature and books and all these things that we look at that say, hey, this is like, you know, fantasy and surreal. This is God's word. And let us not forget that every word is true. Everything that we read, this is an actual event that happened that we can look at, that we have recorded for us, and although I don't fully understand it and my mind wants to resist it, I have to look at this as truth because this is truth, because it's God's truth. And so don't do what I like to do and push it off and just try to stay focused on it. This is God's revealed truth, and he's given it to us for a reason. It's not fantasy. It's not mysticism. It's truth. And there's some things that we're going to see when we look through this courtroom hearing that I think are important for us to know that are going to certainly be relevant to our life today. So let's take a look at this passage of Scripture. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. When the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with him. Do whatever, excuse me, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. 
So Satan left the Lord's presence. So I want us to look at this courtroom hearing, and I, and I know we just read them, and you may not have them all memorized. It's 6 through 13 in, in chapter 1, if you have it in, in a Bible. But, but even as we start to look at this, what are some truths that we can start to extract from the Bible, right? Because that's kind of our job. When we read the Bible, um, the, the, the God's kind of asked us to read the, the text and try to draw a truth from that text, right? Truth that we're going to be useful to apply to our life. Actually, if you are planning to come to Rooted, that's exactly what we're going to be kind of covering, the kind of process of doing that, how you can look at the truth and then take the truth and, you know, categorize it because, you know, I know this is really all really exciting to you. You guys are like, yes, systematic theology. I want to learn that. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a Sunday night for that, but I promise it'll be exciting and it'll be worth your time. There'll be worship and communion too, so you should make that part of your schedule. But this is an important process of what we do, right? So what are some truths that we can pull from this passage of Job. What are some truths that we can see in this courtroom appearance of God and the devil? What are some things that you can see? How about in verse 8, and we won't go back there, but verse 8, I think you read it with me, that you can see, is Job a good person? Yeah. It says he's upright and righteous, and God calls him that. And there are some commentaries that would argue him versus Noah, and maybe his view of God was skewed. I wash all that away because the Bible itself says Job is righteous and upright, right? And yet, does bad things happen to Job? Right. And so many people have thought the book of Job is actually this. They'll say, well, the book of Job is answering the question of why do bad things happen to good people? It's a fair question, right? All of us may go through that. And honestly, that's not a fair, an unfair evaluation because not only Job, but four friends throughout his uh, friends, I'll use the term in quotations, come around him and try to answer this exact question of why are these bad things happening to an apparently good person, right? And ironically enough, although that kind of is the label that gets placed on the book of Job, God never answers that question. He doesn't answer that question in the book of Job. And my, I don't really see him answering that question kind of anywhere, to be honest with you. There's some things that are alluded to. But at the end of the day, the answer that God gives is, and spoiler alert, in case you're going to read it later, I'm just going to tell you. You've got to learn to trust me. I want you to trust me, Job. You don't understand, but I want you to trust me. I want you to learn to lean on me. And so one of the truths that we can see that even in the Scripture, as hard as it is for me to embrace that truth, as hard as it is for me to digest that, and we're going to kind of break out a little bit more on that later, that bad things happen to good people. It's a real thing. Don't be surprised, the Bible says, when you go through trials and troubles, troubles of many kinds. Jesus says that. Don't be surprised, as if something strange were happening to you. It's normative. That's part of our experience. Bad things happen to good people. We can see that in this passage of Scripture. What else can we see? So the devil is there, and the angels are there, and God is there, and the devil is a created being. Do we not see that in that text? He, actually, in another passage of Scripture, we can see the devil himself is an angel, a fallen angel. You say, okay, great, Captain Obvious. <laughs> Devil's an angel. Why is that important for me to know? Because he is a created being. He is subject to whom? God. The creator. The devil's on a leash here. Don't you see that? He can't do whatever he wants to do to whoever he wants to do it. He's got to answer to God. He's a created being like the angels. Also an important point, it's not necessarily important for this message, but I think it's important for us to understand our enemy a little bit. Do you remember last week when Josh talked about the idea of, like, this is a battle between good and evil, right? 
but it, I, I'm going to pick on my Star Wars friends, but it isn't like that. Like he actually used that illustration, right? It's not good versus evil, the evil dark versus light, right? Because they're not two equal opposing forces. The power of God is so much more, it's not even comparable because God controls everything, including he's a created being. He doesn't have the same power as God. He is not like God. What are the, there's a characteristic about Satan here that's kind of new. When he says that, well, God actually asks him, right? So there's God on the throne and he's questioning Satan. Hey, uh, Satan, uh, where you been? Because he's not been here, so he must have been someplace else, right? So he was someplace else. And Satan answers, well, I'm back. He gives, a, in my mind, like a teenage, I don't know if you have any teenagers, he gives a teenage answer like, uh, all right, where are you going? Out. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of vague. Who are you going with? Some friends. What are you going to do? Just some stuff, hang out. Like, okay, you've told me nothing, right? So Satan gives that ambiguous answer back to God. Where have you gone? I've been to the earth, kind of here and there and back and forth and all those things, right? Which is kind of interesting. But also, what do we learn about Satan? So if he's now here, but he was there, and he, on the earth he went to and fro, is Satan everywhere? No. He's not omnipresent like God. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows what we say before we speak it. We're going to look at a psalm a little bit later if we get to it. But this idea that God and the devil are this is not true. You've got to wash that out. God is all so much more powerful. God is, is omnipresent. Satan is not. What about the accusation himself? We can learn a lot from that about Satan, right? The Bible actually here and in other places calls Satan the accuser of the brethren and the sister of them. I made the sister up. No one thought this was funny. In the first, I should have just dropped it off. No one laughed at the first service either. <laughs> Apparently it's not funny. In my mind, sister of them and brethren, like the two was funny, but it's just not. It's just not. Let it go. Just kill the joke. Don't use it. Tells me. No one's going to laugh. So... But Satan's called the great accuser. He's, look at what he's doing in verses 9 through 11, right? You, you read it with me when we went through it, and I'll just I'll paraphrase it. But he's basically saying to God, oh, look at Job. He's a righteous guy, right? He's doing all these things. Well, why is that? Well, because you've given him everything. God, no wonder why he's following you. <coughs> Who wouldn't follow you if you made everything perfect for them? Why is this? Again, when we look at truth, we have to ask that question. Why is that important for me to know that Satan is the great accuser? He's accusing you and I before God day and night. And sometimes if we're not careful, even in our heads, we start to listen to that too. We start to forget that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We start to forget that God has a plan and a purpose for our life, that God desires us to walk with him and live in joy and peace and patience and kindness and good, all these things. We start to think that, well, maybe I'm not worth doing this or that, or maybe I'm not able to do all the answers. It's like all these lies that we start to let seep into our thinking, and all that is is reminding us of the devil, right? The great accuser of the brethren. This, listen, you already have somebody accusing you before God. Why do you not? Don't keep adding on, right? Don't accuse yourself. Don't allow these negative thoughts and all this stuff to start to permeate your thinking when you already have somebody attacking you. You just have to start focusing back on the truth. Also in that verses 9 through 11, as I studied through this passage, to be honest with you, I was really kind of like, I don't know why, I'm, I was probably the only one surprised. Everybody else in the room is probably going to be like, yeah, no, we figured that. I'm kind of like the devil. Okay? I looked through those passages of, of, of his accusation against Job, 
And where I may not be sitting in a courtroom before God, like physically accusing somebody before God, how sometimes I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ, I kind of think that way. Well, God, if I had my house by the lake and everything was peaceful, then I would be calmer and I would be more available to serve you and love you. Right? God, if you take away this crazy, stressful job I have and give me my dream job of cutting the grass at the school like I want, like, I would be calm and I'd have more time to love you and my heart would be more full of joy, right? And I start to think and I bring myself in these accusations. Like, but the truth of it is that even if I got my dream job, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry my sinful, selfish heart into that job. And I'm going to start to complain about the gas can that got left out and this guy who was supposed to start this and this lawnmower that's a piece of junk and why can't the school buy something more expensive? And, right? Is that wrong? Right. That's right. And all this stuff goes. But if, you know, I bring this out because this is a characteristic of Satan which is rightly tagged on him. He is the accuser of the brethren. I'm not going to say anything else. Just the brethren. <laughs> and I have to be careful that I don't look like him. Not just to my other brothers and sisters in Christ, but even into myself. Don't look like the devil in the way you think and talk about other people. Let's not go and say, okay, well, that person's following you, God, because look at what they got. Well, their marriage is right because, of course, it's good. Look at them. And look at the children you gave them. And look at my children. Like, what? You know? So, speaking for somebody else, hypothetically. Not for me personally. That's the whole idea. The Bible literally says comparing one another is a trap. Don't do it. The devil is highlighting him and saying, listen, God, he only follows you because you give him what he wants. So God allows Satan to attack Job. He attacks him only able to attack his possessions, though. He literally says you can't touch him physically. Again, what's the truth we can learn from that? Satan is limited in what he can do. He has to go to permission of God. He's on a leash, and God holds it which is a great truth and comforting, but also, if you're like Job and me and anybody else who's struggled with this, you're like, God, why don't you rein in your dog because he's killing me right now, right? What are you doing? And we're going to look at that right now. But I'm going to focus for the rest of the time that we have today on this one specific strategy of the devil, the one thing that he loves to do to me. He's going to do it to Job right here. We're going to be able to witness that. And we're going to try to focus on this and then some ways that we can possibly defend it. All right, so there's a little bit of reading. I ask you to bear with me as I read through some scripture. And I want you to just kind of get the idea again. So Job has now been accused before God. God has allowed the devil to attack Job with his possessions, but not touch him physically. And listen to how the devil brings about the attack. Right, and I just want you to just notice some things in there, and we're going to cover that right now. So one day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he's still saying that, right, while he's still speaking, another messenger arrives with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all of your shepherds, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger comes with this news. Three brands of Chilean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he's still speaking, yet another person comes, another messenger with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in, your oldest brother's, in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. 
The house collapsed and all of your children are dead. I'm the only one who escapes to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, and then shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I am naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. We're going to just read some more, so bear with me. That was day one, right? Here's day two, or another day. On the day the members of the heavenly court, so here we go again. Court's back in session. Here's the devil again. Here's God. Here's the angels. On a day, the members of the heavenly court came in again to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, he came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urge me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan attacked, so excuse me, so Satan left the Lord's presence and struck Job with terrible boils from his head to his foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job did nothing wrong. I know that was a lot. I just wanted to try to paint a picture for you of what happens to Job as it relates to the strategy of the devil. So what did you notice through all of those things as the devil starts doling out what God's allowing him to do? It's a lot, isn't it? As soon as this one's coming, then this one's coming, then this one's coming, then this one's coming. Oh, wait, new day. Oh, new accusation. New... What do I want us to draw from that? The devil's not going to quit. He's not going to stop. He's merciless. As long as there's an opportunity for him, he is going to seek to destroy you. What happens? He loses everything that he has. Literally, all of his possessions and all of his family are gone in that first day. But the devil doesn't stop there, does he? He says, no, God, well, he's only, yeah, you took everything, but what if you hurt his body? That's really where his heart's at. Like, you're going to get him to fall if, if, you take his, if you physically hurt him. But he, God gives him, again, on a leash, you can attack him physically, but you can't what? You can't kill him. So there's still a limit in that. And all of these things get us to understand that this is the strategy of the devil I want us to focus on this morning, that the devil's whole game is he wants to beat you down. He wants to beat you down to the place where you quit, where you're so discouraged that you give up and turn away. Turn away from who? Turn away from God. That's the whole game plan. I don't know if anybody ever watches MMA fighting. I've openly admitted that I watched this before, so I've already been judged by this church for that. You can pile on if you want, and that's okay. My wife doesn't watch it, so there's some sanctity in our home where there's one person who's holy and righteous. I've pulled some of the kids onto my side, just so you know. It wasn't hard for some of them. They were already there on the dark side, so it wasn't really hard to push them. <laughs> but I love to watch MMA fighting. For those who don't know, it's just mixed martial arts. It's a group where two uh, people come into a ring and fight for battle, either through point systems or knockouts or however they do it. And they can use uh, any form of martial arts at all. So it could be boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, any kind of... It's, it's an amazing sport to watch, for me anyway. If you don't like blood and violence, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know, that just says a lot right there, doesn't it? 
But one of the overarching rules of MMA fighting is this, that you never give up your back. You never want to turn your back on your opponent. And, is, and the reason it's a big deal, especially in a fight, the temptation is always there, right? Because you're getting an onslaught and you're, you're getting beat down and you want it to protect yourself. You want to go like this or you're going to try to get out of a hold and try to spin. But as tempting as it is, you never want to do it because as soon as you do, your opponent is going to slide in behind you and start to choke you out. He's going to put a hold on you that's going to disable you from fighting anymore. And so you want to do it, but you know if you do it, that's what's going to happen. This is what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to get you to turn your back. He wants to give up your back so that he can slide a chokehold around you and render you ineffective and unproductive in your walk. So he's going to bring an attack and another attack and another attack, all with the aimed express purpose. We can see it in the text. He, what he wants to do is have you give up. He wants you to quit. He wants you to stop trusting God. He wants Job to turn to God and say, God, I don't trust you anymore. I don't believe in you. You're not here. I'm alone. This is terrible. You're not in control. All those things, which, by the way, are very reasonable things to think, right? I don't know if you've ever gone through anything difficult before. I'm sure most people have. In a collection of people like this, there's a lot of pain, I'm sure, in this room, right? And we've gone through things and, and challenges in our life, and sometimes we look to God and we're like, God, what are you doing? So it's understandable why Job would get this way. So the temptation, the game of the devil is to do that. Now, I want to be clear that the devil's not choking air out of you when he's got your back. When he turns you over and he starts to squeeze, he's not trying to squeeze air, although many times in our struggles we feel like we're being smothered, right? <laughs> and we literally sometimes don't feel like we have breath. What is he trying to squeeze? Faith. He is trying to squeeze the faith out of you. Your belief that there's a God in heaven who loves you and cares for you. That there's a provision for this pain. That there's a purpose even, which we may never know. That God's in control, right? All of those things, the faith that we have, that God has called us to, the devil's trying to squeeze it out of us and he's using pain, an onslaught of just beloved, the devil loves to pile on, right? You ever do those things? You ever get those one after the other after the other? Like, wow, great, what now? Almost to the point sometimes where it's laughable, like, okay, now what? Like, you know, oh, the car's broke. Oh, great, you know. Lost my job, car broke, kid's sick, whatever. You know, you can pile on with your own, uh, what, what your own situations are. And so for the rest of the time that we have this morning, I want us to take a look at if this is the strategy of the devil, and this is what he's trying to do with us. He's trying to get us to a place where we give up our back so that he can start to choke the faith out of us. If we're, if we're in that ring, right, or if we're calling into that ring to encourage Job, what are some things that we need to tell him to do? How are we going to encourage Job to combat against this thing from happening? For you and me, what are we going to do, practically speaking, in our everyday life that we can do to change this behavior, this tendency to turn away from God? I'll give you like a 10,000-mile-an-hour tour through Job, Right? So we already kind of read the introduction. So Job gets the trial. Job gets accused. All these things happen to Job. And then there's another trial. More stuff happens to Job. Then you see even Job's wife is piling on, right? <laughs> Just curse God and die, dude. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? Great counsel there. Job has four friends that come around him who sit with him quietly for seven days and unfortunately did not stay quiet. Uh, they decided to give some unhelpful counsel and just to start to, again, evaluate. They start to evaluate, Job, everything. Let me tell you, Job, what's going on, right? Let me try to figure out. Because, again, it's not fair. 
And we want to, it's easy for me, again, to look at Job and his friends, but justice is an idol for us, isn't it? We want things to be fair. And when things aren't fair in our mind, I use the word fair in quotations, we struggle and we wrestle with that. And that's what Job's friends are doing. The counselors that he had around him, they kind of meant well, but they keep trying to figure out why this is happening to Job because he's a good guy. So they're saying stupid stuff. Like, well, maybe it's for something you did that you didn't know you did. Maybe it's something that happened in the past. When I was a kid growing up, there was a, uh, my, this was at a time where spanking was not only uh, accepted, but widely encouraged. So I'm not making a platform on spanking you, your family how you want to, and, and whatever it is, it is. But this is just a story of my dear mother, who wasn't abusive, by the way. Let me just preface it by that. Uh, and me and my sister were doing something. I actually don't even remember what we were doing, but I do remember this, that out of nowhere, like my mom was like a ninja, like, I got full-on spanked across. There was no court, no, what did you do? Like, no trial. It was just a mockery of justice. And I just got whooped. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then my sister finally owned it. She's like, oh, I did it. And my mom, listen, I love my mom if you're listening. There's no, there was no hesitation in her voice whatsoever. She's just like, yeah, well, that's for tomorrow because I'm sure you're going to do something wrong tomorrow. She's not wrong. I probably am. But I'm like, wow, what the heck? You know, this isn't right. There's no justice in this. So Job's friends actually use that as part of their counsel. To Job, they're like, well, maybe it's for stuff you're going to do bad. You didn't know you were going to do bad. That's crazy. It's crazy talk. All because they're trying to seek an answer to Job to answer the question, like, this isn't fair, God. What's doing? What is going to happen? And they just keep going and going and going and going. But we're going to see when we, when we break this out, Job, after he gets through with his friends, in fairness to Job, I, I, people kind of pick on him because he kind of does, he kind of falls off, right? He, he's, he starts to struggle with what's going on. He starts to have a little argument back and forth with God as well. Who wouldn't, right? I don't think I would have made the first chapter, in fairness to Job. But so we see that he kind of starts to struggle with God himself, and he starts to wrestle with good questions, and he starts to go after God and ask all these questions. And then the Bible says this, and it's one of my favorite, the, the word says, and then God speaks. And then God starts to answer. And we won't read all of that, but I want you to read the beginning part right here. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. And I, again, we won't read it all. I encourage you to read it because the book of Job is really interesting. Well, it is to me. You find that interesting. <laughs> but it's interesting, and, and you can go through this whole response of God. And how God basically says to Joe, where were you when I created the world? Were you there? Like, uh, I want to say sarcastic, but I'm, not, I'm afraid of God, so I don't want to say that. Like, <laughs> but almost like, hey, where were you? Were you there? Tell me, since you know so much about that. And he says, hey, where were you when I told the ocean how far it could go and where the boundaries were? I'm sorry, did I miss you when I was creating the mountains and the hills and the valleys? And he starts talking about the animals. He goes into this whole thing about these goats walking on the hills and deer and all this stuff. And he makes all of these discussions and says, where were you when all this stuff was going on? I'm sorry, I must have missed you for that. What is he saying? He's telling Job that your perspective is limited, Job. One of the things that we need to do to combat this onslaught of attacks, when the devil starts piling on our life, when we start to, to turn our back a little bit to God because we're trying to trying to protect ourselves from any more pain, right? We got to remember that our perspective is limited, right? We don't see all that we need to see. 
We only see from our experience, from what we know, from what we've read, and from our specific vantage point. Is that God's vantage point? Do we have all the wisdom of God? I had a pastor teach me something one time, again, around some sort of thing I was doing wrong probably, but he said no matter how perfect the thimble is, it can't contain the ocean. And it really kind of stuck with me because he was specifically talking about like when we die, our bodies will be new and we'll, you know, we'll have this perfect form, which is true. But that doesn't mean we'll be having all the wisdom of God even in heaven. It's that vast. It's that phenomenal. It's that deep that you and I, we don't have it and we can't contain it. And John, talking to myself, how many nights have you stayed up late trying to solve apparently unsolvable troubles, trying to make order out of apparent chaos, trying to figure some fairness out of apparent unfairness. How many nights, John? Till as much to the point where you're sleeping terribly, you're coming up the next day, and you're not equipped to handle the struggles of the next day because your, your energy is sapped from trying to figure all this stuff out that you can't figure out. And why is that? Well, because I don't have all the data. I can't figure it out. Job in his life, you know, Job doesn't see this court that's going on, does he? He doesn't know this is happening. You and I have the vantage point where God has shown, pulled the curtain back a little bit for us. But in our lives, we don't have all of the data that we want. I don't know why that is, to be honest with you. I just want God to tell me. <laughs> okay, God, I'll deal with this, but tell me what's going on and why. But God in his infinite wisdom does not. And we can surmise all kinds of things, which I feel like all at best will be like Job's lousy friends and try to figure stuff out for people, which I don't think is helpful. I think it's best for us to just remember this truth, that while we're being tempted to turn away from God, to know that what's happening in my life, that God is in complete control, and although I may not understand it, and it may not seem just to me, that God, my perspective is limited. And it's God's truth that reigns supreme here. And I need to defer back to that when I'm starting to struggle, right? That's the truth. Justice is an idol. And this idea of fairness can be the very thing that we bow down at, the very thing that we turn away from because we want things to be fair. But who evaluates justice? Right. Got to remember that because I start to go down that road really quickly. And by the way, if you're like me, once you start to go down that road, it's really hard to come back. <laughs> It's a comfortable road. I like it. It's good. No, don't go down there at all. Don't start to allow your mind. Don't turn it all to that idea because as soon as I do, the devil's going to come in. So the first thing, like I said, is we need to understand that our perspective is limited. One of the other things that we need to do, the second thing that I want us to focus on is to keep moving. That's actually another good MMA principle, if you care, uh, that you want to keep fighting. You don't want to stop. You know, you want to keep wrestling, you can't stop. They'll actually break you apart if you start to lay flat. So the idea is that we got to keep fighting. And why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> it's important because we start to get lazy. We start to quit leaning into the problems. We start to turn away from it. And that's, again, the devil's going to start to slide. And what do I mean by that? I mean, start to live your life based on what you know and not what you feel. Based on what you know about God, based on what you feel about God. Does that make sense? There are times when you say, well, I don't feel like serving right now. 
Well, God commands you to serve. They'll bring it closer to home. It says, husbands, love your wife. It doesn't say if you feel like it. It says do it. Now, of course, for me, I feel like it all the time, so it's not really a struggle, but <laughs> the, the, the command is there, and, right? The command is there for a reason because God wants us to obey even if we don't feel like it because that's what we need to do. And so in the middle of a struggle when the devil is piling on and you're tempted to be discouraged and you just want to quit, get it. It's understandable. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But don't stop moving. Keep working. Keep doing the things God's asking you to do even if you don't feel like doing it. Does that make sense? And why do we do that? We do it because that's what breeds faith. That's what faith actually is. So the devil's trying to choke it out of you, but you're saying, no, devil, I'm not going to let you choke this out of me. I don't feel it. I can't embrace it. But Lord, I trust you. I'm doing this because I know that your way is better than my way. Listen to me carefully if you don't hear anything else. That Doing what you are supposed to do, even when you don't feel like doing it, is called obedience. It's not hypocrisy. Because in my heart, that's where the devil wants to pull that thread. He's like, well, if you go and start being nice to people in the parking lot while you're serving, that's like you're being a hypocrite because inside you're miserable, dude, right? Which might all, this is hypothetical, of course. <laughs> no, it's obedience. Do what you're supposed to do even if you don't feel like doing it. Hypocrisy is doing nothing and then saying you're doing all these great things even though internally you're a miserable wreck. Well, God, I love you, the Lord. I feel so great today. That's being, you know, and again, we don't, it, there's levels to it where you know what I'm saying. You don't always have to air everything out there. But hypocrisy and obedience are very, very different. Please don't confuse those. And in an attack, when the devil is piling it on and he's trying to give, make you give up your back and he's trying to render you ineffective and unproductive, make sure you remember to just keep doing the next right thing. What is that? It's not 10 steps down the road, by the way. If you're really getting a, a good beatdown, you know, there's levels to the, the abuse that we can take, right? So sometimes it's, okay, I'm going to do the next right. Sometimes you've got to break it down to the next five minutes. God, I'm going to do the next right thing in the next five minutes. I'm not sure I'm going to make it six minutes. That's how we have to start to live our life. There's a principle taught in Scripture which is really, really helpful. And for whatever reason, every other place that broadcasts it, we embrace it, but we forget that it's from God. One day at a time. That's from God, you know. Sufficient enough is the day. Sufficient enough is the worries for the day. God says, I give you provision for the day. I give you strength in the day. The problems sometimes come in when I'm staying up the night before robbing the provision for the next day because I'm worried about taking care of it myself, right? But God says, no, I got you. It's all in the day. And when I'm worried about not having the ability to do the task that God's asked me to do, that worry is unfounded because God says, I'm going to give you the strength you need in this day. So you may not feel it, you may not even trust it. God wants you to keep moving. Keep moving. The last one we're going to talk about is this. Sorry, water. <laughs> that we need to work this out with God, right? We're actually going to talk about another thing. I'm going to add one just because it's 11 o'clock service, and you're special. You're like, oh, great. <laughs> It'll be quick. Don't worry. Another way that we need to combat this is to remember that it's okay to work this out with God. This will be a brief one. I just want you to kind of grab this concept. Because, number one, we got to say, okay, my perspective is limited. God, okay, I understand. I understand what I, I know what I don't know. Then I'm going to walk into this. God, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to do what you asked me to do, even if I don't feel like doing it. 
And this one here I want you to get a hold of. It's not a huge concept, something that I want you to just embrace because it's okay to struggle. And bring that to God. You know, Job is arguing back and forth with God, and God doesn't punish Job for it. He kind of goes after his friends a little bit for it because the way they did it. But I feel like, and again, I don't know because I can't answer for Job or God or any of those things, but it's seemingly like God's okay with him working this out like this. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to be tempted to doubt. God doesn't want us to give into it, but don't negate all of the feeling that you might have as you're trying to push through something. And don't forget to grab your team. Remember, Josh did a great job last week about isolation, right? Don't withdraw. Pull in your friends. Use your team. Use your body of people around you. Express yourself to God. Do you know the book of Psalms? And when I read the Psalms, and again, I, I don't want to take liberty where I can't. So, you know, and I, and I, and I don't. And so I just want to preface it by this is my opinion of Psalms when I read through them. I don't have any divine inspiration on this. But as I read David in the Psalms, and we're going to look at one of them right now, I'm reminded of my son, right? And I'm going to say, how does David remind you of your son? We met him. He's not that great, right? So I think he's pretty awesome. But when, when John was a little kid, right, he would sing everything. And so when, I know he loves this. Sorry, pal. Sorry, but yet not sorry. He would sing to, like, console himself. Like, that's how he would calm himself down. Like, and he hated to take showers. And I remember, like, when we go camping, like, even the girls were laughing at him in the shower because they could hear him through the other one. He's like, I'm in the shower, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, you hear these songs that come out. Like, this is kind of how he expressed himself. This is the Psalms. Read the Psalms with that in your mind, right? Poor John. I know. Shameless attack. If he ever gets the opportunity to preach, I'm in trouble. That's all i got to tell you that right now. <laughs> but he would do that. And, and, and that's what I see in David in the Psalms. David is working it out, man. Do you not hear it in his Psalms? Like, he's, he's oh, David's a super rock. And I think he is a super rock. But how does he get to be the super rock? Because he's feeling like a pile of stuff down here. And then all of a sudden, he builds his heart back up with stuff he knows about God. So he starts to sing it and remind himself, but yet, God, you are the one. Let's read Psalm 139. Do we have that slide up there? Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know where I sit and where I stand up. You know the thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. This, isn't, this is Psalm 139, by the way, but you can read this in lots of other psalms, can't we? This kind of reminding him of the truth. Yes, understand what you don't know. Have the, understand that God's perspective isn't yours. Yes, keep moving. Do the next right thing, even if you don't feel like it. Don't overlook this process of working this out with God. Talk with God. Pray with God. Get around people and cry. Encourage each other. Let it out. <laughs> it's okay to struggle. God's not wanting you to be the, you know. Keep it in your mind. David does it. I see it anyway. I believe that we're to do it. Last one is this. I promise this will be the last one. I won't add an additional one. Remember that this fight is already over, right? Make no mistake about it. And I want you to be clear, because I've talked about the devil choking us out, choking our faith out, 
rendering us ineffective and unproductive. That's what he likes to do. But the devil can't take away what God has given you through Jesus Christ, which is your salvation. He can't take it. Unable to do it. The victory is already won. To be clear, when you made a decision to make Christ your Savior and, and, and allowed him into your heart, that was a gift from God, right? The sustaining power it takes for a believer to stay united with God is given by Jesus Christ. The, re the resurrection where we're together again with Christ in heaven, that's also a power given to us by God. So if God gave it to us, what can we do to lose it? The answer is nothing. So don't worry about that. Don't think about that. But the choking out, the discouragement means that God wants more for us than that. We're here on earth. He's got work for us to do. He's got a kingdom he's trying to advance. And you and I, whether we know it or not, are a part of that process. That's the aim of the devil. Can I knock them down? Can I make them unbelievers? Can I have them choked out to the point where they can't do anything for God? That's the kind of fight I'm talking about that the devil's in, that you're in with the devil right now. He wants to discourage you and beat you down. And he wants you to quit on God. The victory is won. That's what we're going to focus on. We're going to read this passage of Scripture. And I want you to think about this. And as you read this, I want you to really embrace this in your heart. As you start to work through your own struggles, maybe you, like David, need to remind yourself of some of these truths and sing these in your heart. Put these on your mind. Let's read through this. Romans chapter 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? What's the answer? No. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or in danger or threatened with death? That's a question. Does it mean that he doesn't love us? No. As the scripture says, for your sake we are, all, we are killed all, every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Another version says we're counted like sheep to be slaughtered. Who wants to be in that number? Hey, guy, I'm signing up for the, sheep, the slaughtering sheep group. Yeah, that's, but that's the group you're in. And he says this, no, N-O, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us, right? Isn't that exciting? You guys are not super excited about that, but it is exciting, right? Don't worry, it gets better. It gets better. Read. Am I convinced? Are you convinced? Maybe you need to be reminded this morning of this right here, that you're convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Not death, nor life, or angels, or demons, or fears for today, or worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate you from God's love. Maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. Embrace this as part of the attack. When the devil comes at you, remind, you of, remind yourself of your future in his. You aren't bound like he is. You're free in Christ. You win, he loses. You persevere. You do what God asks you to do. Maybe today you need to remind yourself of that. Let's pray. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor Church as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and the world around us, you can visit harborchurch.com backslash give, or you can text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.